What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, Robot Parade, Robot Parade, wave the flags that the robots made. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today, our third host, Joe McCormick, is not with us, but he will be back soon. And in the meanwhile, if you couldn't tell, we're going to be talking about robots again. Yep. Robots. Robots. Um, so uh, it's it's a shame that Joe can't be here because he actually pitched the other show we'll be recording and that will come out later this week uh, that also has to do about robots. But we're going to do our best to uphold the high standards of, of robot integrity that, yes. that Joe embodies. Because, as we all know, Joe is 40% robot. He is. Mostly, yeah. most of that 40% is clamps. Yeah, uh, a lot of clamps. But they're delightful clamps. They uh, and And really, integrity is what this episode is going to be about. Yeah, it's kind of... All right, so a little backstory here. Yeah. Back at the end of May... Uh, there was a, a report that came out that spurned, uh, sparked, I should say, not spurned, sparked a lot of conversation about robots and rights. And so we're going to talk about what that was and what was said in that report. But before we get to that, we should also mention that this episode has a lot of tie-ins with tons of other episodes we have previously recorded because, as it turns out, we love us some robots. We we talk about robots a lot yeah, here on the show about the future of technology and science. Uh, strangely enough, uh, yeah, no, okay. So so we've got we've got what happens when a robot breaks the law from uh, March of 2016. Was that was that so recently? Yeah, that it was feels a pretty, like it was a million years. I know, ago. right? Yeah, and then there's but then there's also will robots steal our jobs, which was in December 2014, and will robots take our jobs in May 2015? Something tells me we didn't really pay attention when we Maybe recorded the second one. One of those have been a video? What? I'm not it sure. It might have been. Okay. It could be that one of those is a video, or it could very well be that we recorded job, two episodes. Us. 
with the same title. I mean, to be fair, this is an ongoing conversation that is getting more and more complicated. We also have one on universal basic income, which ties into those concepts as well. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, when robots steal our jobs, that is when universal basic (laughs) income is going to need to be a thing. How do I get my monies? Right. 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 Uh, We also have uh, AI, friend or foe. From April 2014, uh, what if the president were a robot? That was also a Joe uh, uh, suggestion. That was also April 2014. Uh-huh. A- and more. Yes. If we listed every single episode, I mean, really just pull up our RSS feed and search robot. And I think I got you'll a, get 134 a of- hits. <laughs> now, to be fair, that also includes all the metadata. Uh, sure. So robot shows up a lot, okay. but 134 hits, and we have not been recording that show that long. I mean, no. so why are we going to talk about it again? Because there was a report for the European Parliament. That's the one that I was talking about that came out at the end of May and had proposed some provisions to grant personhood to robots, electronic personhood. Robot personhood. Yeah, among other things. That's electronic personhood is probably the element that I think has had the most conversation around it after uh, this report came out. Uh, yeah, because it's kind of the flashiest one and it's it's sort of the most far-reaching part of the report. Right. But, but a lot of the report is actually very grounded and down to earth and and I I, I love it. Like it's, I love a lot of the ideas in here. So yeah, we were really excited about talking uh, with 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 ourselves and to you guys. Yeah. I was about to say with you guys, but I guess you can't participate. I mean, they can talk back. We you just can. We're not ignoring you. We just literally cannot hear you. Wait, was oh no, no that's Noel. No, okay. that's Noel. He's he's eating something crunchy. <laughs> At any rate, so we wanted to really kind of boil down what was in this report because there's a lot more to it than just the electronic personhood. Like you were saying, Lauren, that gets a lot of attention because it almost, it's like saying, would you give your vacuum cleaner rights? <laughs> but we've, we've had these discussions here on this show. The cool thing is, at the end of those discussions, we always like, you know, we really need to talk about this. Yeah, it, it, it would be wonderful if elected officials would begin considering this sort of thing. And it's happening! I know! It's crazy! Alright, so... The report came out May 31st, 2016. We should also say it's a draft report, or at least that's how it's titled. Yeah, it's a proposal. Yeah, it's called Draft Report with Recommendations to the Commission on Civil Law Rules on Robotics. Oh, Which governments, thing. the capacity to make even very exciting things sound very dull. I mean, how, yeah, there's got to be a rule somewhere that if you are proposing something or you've created a report that the the title must be one of two things. It must either be excessively long and with at least one colon right and and by being excessively long you have already told somebody everything they need to know about what's in the report or it has to incorporate a a stupid acronym that has been tortured so that it can encompass the various concepts that are in the report and if you're lucky you get both yeah yeah so the thing about this report it had some awesome stuff in it. So, first of all, the general purpose of the proposal is to start those official discussions and de- developing policies and guidelines in the field of robotics, particularly since individual member states in the European Union are developing their own policies over time. So, the fear is that you're going to get all these different countries making their individual rules and then you're going to have conflicts between the way one country legislates robotics and the way another one does. Mm-hmm. And, and especially in the European Union, where everyone is working together very closely and, and literally working in other countries than the one of their own origin. Right. It, it gets really important really quickly to have agreement in all of this. Exactly. Yeah. If you if you got your training and your experience in one country in the European Union and you are working in the robotics field in some capacity, and then you take an opportunity in a different country in the European Union, which is perfectly legitimate, uh, you might find yourself struggling because these different member states have different rules. This is a proposal to make more of an umbrella of rules so that it's kind of an even playing ground throughout the entire European Union. Mm -hmm. Now, to tell you how cool this report is in many ways, the introduction of the proposal at the very beginning, section A under introduction, they reference Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, the Pygmalion myth. They also, I didn't put in the notes, they also mention the Prague Golem. They mention uh, Kero Capek's RUR, or Rossum's Universal Robots, from where the term robot originates. Yes, yes, that's where it was coined. Yep. And it's already 
10 times more awesome than any government proposal I've ever read because you've got all these things in the introduction talking about throughout our our history we have created fiction that talks about our our desire to create a synthetic Life. form of life, or yeah. at least intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, in they, their case, they were talking about intelligent machines, although I would argue Frankenstein's monster is not really a machine. It's, it's a an artificial machine. Li- yeah, I guess so. I mean, on the same level that any human is a machine. Sure. Um, now, section B, the, each of these sections, by the way, is like a paragraph under the introduction. But section B of the introduction posits that we're on the threshold of a new industrial revolution that is powered by artificial intelligence and that no part of society will remain unaffected by this revolution. And so it's wise to consider the implications now. Again, which is what we say basically at the end of every single podcast that we do about robots. Right. And particularly ones about the idea of, you know, will automation uh, uh, ultimately take more jobs than it creates? How are we going to deal with that? That's really what that paragraph is getting at, saying, look, we can't even fully anticipate the uh, consequences of this. We know what's happening. We know that robotics and artificial intelligence, machine learning, automation, all of these things are going to lead to a crazy amount of change on par with the industrial revolution of the past. We need to start talking about that uh, in an official capacity, not just like thought experiments, huh. but actually like let's lay down some guidelines yeah. so that we don't mess things up too much. Uh, yeah, and, and by, by way of kind of providing proof of that, it, it points out that robot sales have been increasing. Exactly. Yeah, they're saying the robot sales been on the rise, especially in uh, areas like car manufacturer, automotive industry. The, the automation in the automotive industry has really been on the rise, as well as just in electronics in general. And also states that robots will provide numerous benefits in the short to medium term with the potential for, quote, virtually unbounded prosperity, end quote, in the long term. That's a lovely phrase. Yeah, it's kind of like the Star Trek belief where, you you know, you've got like everything on demand all the time because of this wondrous world. It's probably not going to quite that extent because as we have talked about in the past to get to that Star Trek future, we'd also have to find like some sort of crazy energy, energy source. source. <laughs> yeah. And we don't have dilithium crystals yet. So not yet. No. Keep, keep digging everyone. Yep. So uh, the flip side, however, because this isn't all about just sunshine and roses here. Robotic roses. No, they wanted to say like, hey, we got to consider some of the possible bad things about this. Mm-hmm. They say that these advances, quote, may result in a large part of the work now done by humans being taken over by robots, end quote. And that that would affect not just employment, but also systems like Social Security, which rely on employment taxes for funding. So, Which is a thing that I had somehow never thought about before, but is yeah. so clear. I mean, once it's pointed out, it's like, of course, Social Security is a thing that we need to think about in this crazy future of, right. of robots taking our gerbs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you If you are not having enough money paid into Social Security because so many jobs have been taken over by automated systems – then Social Security itself can no longer perform the function it's meant to do, and you start to see a, a, a pretty precipitous decline in the quality of life for thousands, millions of people. Uh, right. Well, b- based on that current system, I mean, obviously, if we had something like basic universal income, yeah, then that would help. And, but see, then you, you're but also then how are you funding that? Exactly. Like if you don't if you don't have people working, they can't make money, and you can't tax them. I mean, <laughs> like. They're not well, earning you can, income. Yeah, you could, but they just have even less. I mean, like, you're kind like, of... like, I have these fingernail clippings? Right, what do uh, you want? Yeah, but... I've got some, like, uh, old newspapers in the I... garage I can give you. I mean, I don't... I, I was saving them for some reason, but... Paper mache. Yeah, it's just... Uh, it, it, and so, again, this, this proposal is saying, look, we're acknowledging that these issues are right on the cusp of happening today. We need to start seriously talking about it. Uh, right. And furthermore, on this kind of social issue side, uh, you know, what happens when a robot breaks a thing, including a person? Yeah. We need we need some legal recourse for figuring that out. Exactly. And we need to be able to assign liability in those issues. We need, we need to also understand how do robots and humans interact in a way that is a positive experience for humans? Uh, Sometimes that means creating an experience that appears to be a positive experience for robots, because even though at this stage, I would argue robots can't appreciate 
a person being polite to a robot, for example. Uh, right, right. The robot don't care. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it, it lacks the capacity. We have not programmed it to love as of yet, but or to feel slighted. Sometimes, by creating a system that encourages people to behave in a way toward robots that they would toward another human being, a positive way, I would. Fingers add, crossed. Yes. That actually has a benefit on the person, right? right? Like, like we've seen some interesting studies about when you create, uh, responses in robots so that they seem to understand when they get something right or get something wrong and they, they seem to have an to emotional have a reaction. reaction. Right. People are feeling more receptive toward those robots and work more easily with those robots. And so, again, while it may not have a direct benefit to the robot in any, you know, psychological way, it has a benefit on us as we interact with those robots. Yeah. Which is, it's one of those things that you don't necessarily think about when you start talking about policies. Uh, also, they say, hey, what happens um, if robots like get super smart, like, like way more, like more than human smart, smart? Yeah. Like, like, like not just human smart, smart, but they're also autonomous so that they can act on that smart, smart. They don't necessarily need to be conscious or self-aware, just really, really intelligent. And so essentially they're saying we need to think about the possibility of robots becoming a danger to the human species. Like, don't let's not create a bot that's going to kill us. Let's not Skynet this thing. Let's no, not that. Yeah, let's do the opposite of that. Well, maybe not the opposite, but you know, a different option at least. Yes. So considering all of those things. The, the introduction concludes, the European Union should really get off its duff and start talking about these ideas and work on a strategy to avoid problems in the future. So that's just the introduction. Yeah. It's just laying everything out there for you. And then what they do later on in the, the report is kind of lay down general principles and some guidelines that they would suggest. But those guidelines are very general. We're, we're, you're going to hear the same thing throughout the rest of this podcast where they say, we need to form a committee. Yeah. <laughs> specifically to set this up. Yeah, th- this entire proposal is like is like one of those meetings that you're just sitting there and planning more meetings for the future. Right, right. And then eventually you later on down the road hold a meeting to discuss how you can have fewer meetings. Yeah. And that's when everyone <laughs> loses their mind and runs screaming from the room. Uh but right now we're at a stage where they they are saying like, "Hey, we don't have all the answers." Mm-hmm. This this document is not meant to be This is not an answer. This is just a suggestion for how we might come up with the answers. Exactly. This is this isn't that that guide you would find in Beetlejuice about how to uh you know, how how <laughs> to work with the recently diseased. I'm sorry, deceased. It's a joke that's in the movie. Anyway, so <laughs> the next section is titled General Principles, or, or the beginning of it is General Principles. And the report cites Asimov's Laws of Robotics. So because, we, of course, they do. Geek reference number, like, 18. <laughs> Again, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, if you are if you are rusty on Asimov's Laws of Robotics, they are, uh, first... A robot may not harm a human or, through inaction, allow a human to come to harm. Second. A robot must obey any orders given by a human unless it would violate the first law. Hmm. Third. A robot must protect itself from harm unless doing so would conflict with either of the first two laws. A fourth and or zeroth, uh, depending on how you choose, because it was added a little bit later, a robot may not harm humanity or, by inaction, allow humanity to come to harm. Now... These are not innate laws, right? There's, no. th- th- this, these are just good ideas. These were good ideas that a science fiction author came up with for the purposes of creating interesting narratives that would show how even these very basic ideas could sometimes uh, have Go consequences. Yeah, yeah, that you didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. But we generally – since then, have said, those yeah. laws of robotics seem like a really good idea. Those, those kind of lay it out just how we want it. Yeah, yeah if you got mm-hmm. a big old metal thing that weighs like a half ton and it can move around and whack stuff, let's try and make sure it doesn't whack people. Yeah. Yeah. Preferably. So uh, they, then we get the liability section. Talking about whacking people, this is it. <laughs> this is what this is about, right? Like, uh-huh. how do we determine who is or what is liable in the in various scenarios and this relates very closely to that podcast we did in the past about what happens if a robot breaks the law yeah so uh we get to a point where this is where 
The report first suggests that the European Union might need to classify robots under a new category, either like a category like persons, like essentially say, can we treat robots like people in the sense of liability? Uh-huh. Like legally speaking. Legally speaking. Or would it be more like animals? Would it be more like objects? Or do we need to create an entirely new classification? For an intelligent, non-human entity. Right. Right. Something that can behave at least semi-autonomously. And Something harder than a dolphin, yeah. <laughs> but less bound to the sea. Yes. So first thing they point out is that AI and machine learning are transforming how robots interact with environments. And we wouldn't necessarily call even the most advanced AI that we have operating today anything close to being conscious or self-aware. But that almost doesn't really matter, right? Right. it, It could still be active in a way that could potentially be harmful. And we're seeing more applications that allow machines to learn from their environments and adapt their approaches to complete certain tasks. Yeah. That complicates things. The whole autonomous part that makes robots useful. Yeah. And the idea that, you know, since we've been seeing machine learning, like, go from observing a pendulum and determining what the laws of physics must be based upon those movements up to the you know learning what a cat is based upon just feeding it information right you know and and then getting to a point where we can maybe create an artificial intelligence set it in a room give it a task and have it learn from its mistakes so that it eventually begins to do that task more and more efficiently right that's that's creating something very different from just this machine will follow a specific set of instructions and repeat it exactly Every time. Un- until it breaks. Huh. Right? Uh, right, right. And because right now, the way that robots work, uh, take, a, take a Roomba, for example. Yeah. Nice, easy, nice, easy thing that you, you may or may not have interacted with. Uh, uh, right now, if um, a Roomba trips and trips you and you die, yeah. um, you, you sue you sue the company. You sue I, I, iRobot, yes? I think so, yeah. Exactly. I believe it is iRobot, mm-hmm. yeah. So that would be that. Yeah, that's exactly the case because robots right now, for the most part – are essentially machines that do a very specific task, and they do it pretty much the same way every time. Even mm-hmm. with something like the Roomba, which has some object avoidance and some other a little bit of things. learning for for mapping purposes, but but it's very basic, yeah. right? It's not like it's not like the Roomba is suddenly going to vacuum in a totally different way, right? <laughs> it can't. It it lacks that capability. Yeah. But it, at this point, we would say, all right, well, if the if the machine were to cause harm. Through its uh, its normal operations, you would essentially say the manufacturer, the producer of that robot, maybe the programmer, sure. is liable, right? right. And, uh, but that gets more complicated as you get into these these devices that have machine learning and autonomy. Yeah, yeah, because if it's learning how to do new stuff, if it, if it's interacting with an environment that the programmer didn't account for, right. and therefore learns something harmful. Then do you blame the manufacturer? They actually, the report actually says that the more it learns, the less you can really blame the creator, right? That, that its behaviors that it's learning are due to whatever environment and variables it's encountering. And it may very well be that if you were to trace that behavior all the way back down to the gem, the germ of an idea, the, the, the nugget of programming that eventually evolved into that behavior, it would be very difficult to say, well, this is clearly the fault of the manufacturer, which means that maybe the robot itself has to be liable, which raises questions like, well, how how do you deal with that? Yeah. You've got a li- bad robot. I mean, the <laughs> robot can't think or feel. You can't punish the ro- – I mean, if you punish the robot, it would be meaningless, Right? Like the robot can't feel badly about it. It can't learn from that experience. It can't be like, wow, it put me in solitary and now I'm, I'm going to really turn (laughs) things around. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're not going to get like a robot Shawshank redemption thing going. I mean, it's, it's really, it's really shady whether or not humans are penitent by being put in penitentiary. That is an episode I want to (laughs) do. But yes, different episode, but that would be a lovely and upsetting episode. Probably Uh, a lot of, uh, not shouting at each other, but shouting, just into the void. Just, yeah. Yeah, a lot of that. But at any rate, getting back to the robots. So we, they, the report says we need to perhaps come up with some, uh, definitions so that we can figure out ways to assign liability in those cases where machines are having this level of artificial intelligence and autonomy. Uh, yeah. And it furthermore proposes to, to create a system of registration for robots that are so advanced that this could become a problem. Yeah. This is like, 
almost like saying, you know, the way you might have to register a weapon. Right. The idea that right. you know, at a robot that has a sufficient level of intelligence also carries with it a, a certain amount of risk toward humans. And that intelligence may not necessarily come in the form of physical violence. It could come in the form of sharing your information in a way that you had not anticipated. Right. Or perhaps uh, spying in the sense of like a video surveillance type of issue. So there, the draft says maybe we need to have a registration system. And once an, a robot reaches a certain threshold – whether it's a threshold in you know, artificial intelligence or just the various features in the robot, at that point, the producer must register the robot so that there is a government document connected with that specific entity mm-hmm. in the case that that entity goes robo-berserk or does a, makes a mistake or operates in a way that was unintended but causes harm. In any of those scenarios, you got to have a way to assign that liability. So this would, again, fall into, in, into that category. Uh, right. And then in order to kind of assist with that, it calls for more funding for research projects, particularly the ones that that are, are looking into these social and ethical challenges that are, that are raised by these kinds of advancements. Right. Because the, the report recognizes, they said, hey, we realize – this is not. This is new. Th- this is new. It's going to require experts, and and it's going to require funding. It's going to require money. So, we need to actually seriously talk about this. Not just say like, "Hey, let's throw ideas around," but let's let's create specific entities, and those entities have the responsibility of really seriously tackling these issues and coming up with guidelines that are. Uh, uh, that are aligned with those ideas mm-hmm. um, and that the European Union should create, quote, legislative instruments on legal questions related to the, the development of robotics and AI, end quote, that looks ahead 10 to 15 years. Ooh. Yeah. That's, Hard to do. That's that's nuts. We, we I mean, love we, to, to speculate about the future. Obviously, that's what this podcast is all about. That's literally what we do here, yes. Um, but I mean, but we also make so many jokes about 20 to 40 years. Yeah, and also. Wow. Gosh, I keep forgetting how awesome that little jingle is. Uh, also, what we say doesn't become law. Right. And thank goodness for that, Jonathan. Yeah, no joke. I mean, <laughs> when we get that, that axe of destiny swinging around, you don't want that stuff to become. Sometimes we're whimsical. And by whimsical, I also mean terrifying, cap- capricious to a level that's probably irresponsible. Anyway, the last time I took a test, I came out chaotic neutral. Yeah, that's terrifying. Chaotic neutral is the scariest of the alignments. Isn't it fun? I mean, chaotic evil, at least you know that whatever they're going to do, it's going to be bad. (laughs) Chaotic neutral, (laughs) it's just like, I'm going to close my eyes and throw a dart. Will it hit a board? Maybe. Um, So the the interesting thing here, though, again, is that they they want to look at creating, again, a, a, a specific official entity that is dedicated to answering legal questions and speculating about what questions will need to be answered more than a decade out. So saying, let's not wait until we've reached a technical technological level of sophistication where we then have to backtrack and figure out a way to litigate (laughs) around issues. Yeah. Yeah, it's saying let's proactively get out there and be looking for the most cutting edge, the the, the most ridiculous even um, possibilities that could come up in the future. And let's plan just a little bit for those. Yeah. And it's so different from the way we've seen the law and technology interact in the past, right? Typically, we see technological advancement leap way ahead of technology and then we have this incredibly scramble yeah and it tends to be messy and kind of embarrassing if we're being real honest yeah i mean just look at the internet and telecommunications here in the united states Mm -hmm. i mean that's been a huge pain in the butt and that has led to big arguments about net neutrality and so what this draft proposal is saying is that they want to avoid having as many of those scenarios as possible by proactively thinking up ahead. It's just I don't know how they're going to do it in a way that it may very well mean that they create policies that 
are covering a specific pathway, and as we see technology take a different pathway, they'll just have to switch gears. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a challenging thing. I'm sure it would be a very frustrating thing in many ways, but it's also really important. Um, so the draft proposal also calls for a legal solution that doesn't restrict the type or extent of damages a person can seek, based solely on the fact that the damage that was caused uh, came from a non-human agent. In other words. You should never have a situation where a court tells you, well, we can only award you X number of dollars or euro in this case because your mugger was a robot. <laughs> so th- there shouldn't be a specific limit just because of the robot being the co- the cause right, of the problem. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, also, like, don't create a mugging robot, y'all. But yeah, that's I mean, rude. That's, that's going down the Futurama path, which, while entertaining, is really not practical. Yeah. No um, hobo bots, no orphan <laughs> bots. Come on, just... <laughs> Don't uh, do those. Uh, but 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 joking aside, I mean, we're already seeing a need for this uh, in cases, for example, like like the recent and, and tragic death that resulted from a Tesla car crash just a couple weeks ago. Um, the, the the driver had had his Tesla car in autopilot mode, which mm-hmm. is not, in fact, autopilot, but rather a driver assist kind of function. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I have multiple times over the last week yelled that we maybe need to change the name of that feature that it is yeah inherently misleading uh, uh but but right i mean you know in this case where where this driver was in the car the car was in driver assist mode uh neither the driver nor the computer in the car recognized that a semi truck that was crossing his path was there because of just glare conditions or maybe mm-hmm. the dude was looking away i don't know yeah we yeah uh, we we don't have i mean I don't think all the details will ever be available sure. because we just don't know what was happening at that moment. But as as you're pointing out, like this is an issue where there's the question, who ultimately is liable in this case? And without having the legislation there to kind of Guide. frame that, yeah. it, it, it means that it means that the courts have to start figuring it out on their own and on the fly. That's a rough way to make legislation. Yeah. Um so Moving on with the the liability section, they also suggest that the producers of a robot are liable for damage on a level proportionate with the amount of instructions the producers gave the robot. Now, this is the part that I find really fascinating. Yeah, so this this would be like the more simple your robot, the more liable the producers are for any damage the robot creates. Yeah, if you get crushed by a dumb robot... It's it's the manufacturer's fault. Right. Because they're the ones who like if, if the robot can only follow instructions that were created by the manufacturer and through the operation, the robot has hurt someone, then the manufacturer would be considered liable, assuming that you're not having a situation where a person has flagrantly uh, ignored warnings or safety features. Right. Like in a big automation thing, there's usually rails and all this other stuff yeah. separating the robot from people. Do not walk into the clamp function of the robot. Exactly. Kind in, of warnings. In those cases, you would you could argue that, well, the person who was hurt was at fault. But they're talking about in other, in other situations where uh, there was an unintended consequence in the normal operation of the robot. However, the more the robot acts as an autonomous entity, the lower the responsibility of the producers of the robot. So if a robot damages property or hurts someone through an autonomous decision that was not directly traced to its fundamental programming, in other words, this was some sort of learned behavior that went awry, the robot ends up being liable, not the producers of the robot, which is a pretty radical idea. Yeah. Uh, they also say that the longer a robot has received "quote unquote" education, the more liable the robot's "quote unquote" teacher is for any damage the robot causes. So, in other words, if you have the robot in a lab setting and you're training it in the lab and you're training it over and over again with lots of different ways, and then you put you implement the robot somewhere and it hurts somebody, you could say, "Well, the teacher." Was the one yeah. training the 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 behaviors? Yeah, the the manufacturer didn't do it. This this person trained this robot to do this. So yeah, yeah. So if you get crushed by a dumb robot, uh, it's the manufacturer's fault. If you get crushed by a smart robot, it's either the robot's fault or your own fault. Yep. And so, what do you do in that case? Like, all right, well, now we know whose fault it is. What then? Well. The report has some suggestions for that. Yeah. They said, what about an obligatory insurance scheme similar to that that you would have to have if you wanted to operate a car? Sure. Except in this case, the people making the robots are the ones paying the insurance. Which which I'm not sure how I feel about. I'm, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's weird because in this case you wouldn't say like it, it, going with the car metaphor would be like saying, well, the car manufacturer, the automaker has to pay for my car insurance. And an idea which I love. Yeah. <laughs> now, if it were an autonomous car, you might say, well, that makes sense because I'm not the one controlling the vehicle. Right. If it's huh. a if it's a car that's under my control, however, you could argue, well, it's the driver's behaviors, unless you're talking about a, a faulty vehicle, in which case there could be a recall or something like that. Sure, right. So they're saying, no, the producers would pay out the insurance for the robots they create. And if the robot were to cause any damage, then that insurance would end up paying for that damage. Or... There could be a compensation fund for the robots themselves. Uh, yeah, to pay them for all of their hard work so that they'll feel greater job satisfaction. <laughs> right. And be able to buy the good oil. Right, exactly. <laughs> Finally, they won't be, they won't be sludging through like the used, uh, fry grease over at the <laughs> fast food restaurant. They'll finally oh, no. be able to go in and order a pint of WD-40 or something. <laughs> no, no, this is, this is not to make the robots feel better about the job they are doing. And actually, it's an interesting and practical solution to this issue, saying, let's have a compensation fund for each individual robot, not so that the robot has spending money, but so that if the robot were to cause harm, then there's actually money that belongs to the robot that could be paid out to the person who's injured or their or whoever owns the property that was damaged in the case of of that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh and that the robot itself is paying for the for the, the damage. damage it caused because although ultimately it's whoever's compensating the robot technically yeah but 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 this is this is a way of saying like well you wouldn't go after the business necessarily if the robot itself had the funds and its compensation fund and that you would even possibly invest money on behalf of the robot which is so the robot would have its own 401k or something <laughs> it's weird right yeah yeah and 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 that that's the point in the proposal at which it says again like like really though we're going to probably need a different legal distinction for robots right. at this level um than just robot yeah and and they also say that the compensation fund is just it's a possible solution they're not right. even saying like right. we're we're saying this has got to be the way they first start with the idea of the insurance then they move on to possible compensation fund but they they admit like this is just the sort of brainstorming ideas we have and something that would need to go into further discussion with an actual committee um and then we move on to the next section, which is all about ethical principles. And it calls for the design of an ethical framework to make certain that advances in robotics are made with considerations to the impact on human safety, privacy, or privacy, if you prefer, integrity, dignity, autonomy, and data ownership. So, which, which is a really good spread. I'm, I'm proud of them for, for putting you know, privacy and data ownership and stuff like that I'm in there, too. I'm really impressed. I, I was consistently impressed by this report yeah. at seeing the scope that they were taking. Because it was so far beyond just simple ideas like they're taking our gerbs <laughs> or, right. or robots are big and scary and can smash my face in. Or things like, you know, the stuff that we typically talk about, they went well beyond that. I mean, they covered those items, too. Sure. But that was kind of cool. They go on to say that the risk of harm to a person should be no greater than that encountered in ordinary life. So in other words, in a future that's filled with robots in all sorts of roles, in the job, social robots, care robots, whatever they may be, a person should encounter no more risk than they do right now in an ordinary day. So it should robots should not make the world riskier, in other words. Um, Which is really what we're hoping for. Yeah. Yes. I mean, to decrease the risk would be awesome. I mean, right. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> at least nice. don't make it worse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I love this. I love this idea. Like, well, like, look, we just we know how humans are. Like, can we can we establish a baseline of of suck? In right. The world? Exactly. Like, like, can we make it not suck more? If we open up any history book, we <laughs> see our propensity for making things way worse early on <laughs> in the development of any given technology. We think it'd be awesome if we didn't do that this time. (laughs) 
so to do all of this, you know, they admit like this is a lot to talk about. They say that there must be a new European agency specifically dedicated to the field of robotics and artificial intelligence and that it has to be funded properly. It can't just be an, an agency in name and it needs to be staffed with technical experts as well as leaders in ethical and regulatory fields. So they're saying like, we need we need smart people. Yeah, we need people who understand the technology, who understand the hypotheticals about the technology, right. and also people who understand the law and understand how not to be dicks to people. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is this is not a small thing. This is, you know, yes, you need engineers. You need the people who know how to solve a problem. But you also need the ethical experts who can say, look, just because this is the most efficient way to solve the problem doesn't mean it's the right way. Yeah. Right. Especially when you have a world that also happens to have human beings in it. <laughs> Right. Which which fingers crossed again. Like, yeah, you know, I'd like the future to have, I suppose. Yeah. At least a couple. Right. I mean, you know, I I, I need I need a a couple of folks to watch my videos and listen to my podcast. (laughs) Otherwise, what am I going to (laughs) do? Oh, Uh, right. And and then and then it goes into a bunch of um, specific sections. Yes. uh, About different about more committees and yeah. (laughs) <laughs> about more government and more things uh, to think about. So, and we'll we'll cover these in brief. Uh, so, one of them is about intellectual property, mm-hmm. which uh, they want to find a way to both protect and encourage innovation. So, it's kind of like you know the idea of patents, the idea that they protect an idea, but they also allow people to see what the idea is, and then once the patent expires, they can also use that as the jumping off point for new inventions, that kind of stuff. Uh, right, and not only in in terms of making robots, but in terms of what robots make. This is the really, again, something I wouldn't have necessarily thought a government report would include in it. Yeah. But yeah, they say, what about works that robots make? Like, let's say a robot writes a song, for example. We've talked about this in the past, about robots and their role in art and what is art and can a robot make art? Yeah, and th- so there there need to be laws in place for what happens when that happens because it is happening right now. Yeah, who owns the copyright? to the music a robot creates? Is it the manufacturer? Is it the person who owns the robot? Uh, is it whomever gave... Is it the robot itself? Yeah, does the robot have ownership of that that art? Can and the money it makes go back into that, like, oops, I killed someone fund? Yeah, exactly right. Like, wow, our Paul McCartney bot went insane <laughs> and slaughtered 14 people. Thank goodness it wrote that hit song five years back because we can <laughs> afford to pay off all the legal fees. Oh. Oh, no. We laugh or we cry, oh, folks. That's the those Paul, are our two choices. Paul McCartney bot, don't don't do that. <laughs> it was the first name that popped in my head. Uh, and to be fair, I mean, come on, he's he's part robot too. So uh, if if this in fact happens, how do we assign that ownership? And again, they don't have the answer for it. They're just saying this is a question that we need to answer. So we need to uh, bring it up and say mm-hmm. this might seem frivolous, but it's absolutely something that is happening. And so we have to come up with our our legal answer for it. Uh, yeah, uh, th- this next one is one that I'm oh, I'm so excited about. Standardization. Yes. And I feel like such a boring adult for being <laughs> this excited about standardization. But, but we've, we've covered like home automation, yeah. right? Home automation. One of the problems is that if you don't want all your stuff to come from the same company, how do you make sure that stuff can communicate with each other so you actually get that automated experience that you wanted. Uh, right. Or or autonomous vehicles. I think this is one of the, the biggest hurdles that we're facing right now to autonomous vehicles is how do we create a system where all of those vehicles from different manufacturers can talk to each other, right. talk to the road, talk to the traffic signals, uh, et cetera. Yeah. Where you can have that, that fully integrated system where cars are fully, they, they know where everyone is. They know where all the other, uh, other cars are. Not only do they know where the other cars are, they know what the other cars are going to do before it starts to happen because they can communicate with one another. Mm-hmm. Well, without those standards in place, you end up with a lot of proprietary systems where all the vehicles made by one company can talk to each other, but that only represents but they give the a, cold shoulder to those other cars. Yeah, and they represent a tiny percentage of right. all the vehicles on the road. Uh, you don't really get a very you, – you don't have an integrated system in that approach. And so they're saying, well, we don't want to see that with this future of robotics. So let's start creating some standards that companies can follow when they're designing their products so that we avoid this in the future and we have a more seamless integration. Um, and, in fact, they have another section on autonomous vehicles themselves. 
And they specifically call out for standards for those autonomous vehicles. Uh, they also mention care robots and medical robots. Um, they're specifically in those cases talking about a need to develop robots that uh, where you're you're specifically thinking about how are these going to affect humans. Uh, right, right, and and just kind of I think it was a call for like like research and development into uh, w- how we can create robots that can help with, with care of, of the sick or the elderly right. or, you know, whatever, whatever group it is that, and, and how can we create robots that are providing care, not right. just physical services. And, and to make sure it still maintains a sense of human dignity as well. Oh, like, right. like yeah. not just that they are effective in doing what they do, but they are, they, they perform their, their duties in such a way that the person who's being cared for doesn't feel less, less for that. Or worse. Yeah. Right. And uh, again, being someone who currently and thankfully is healthy and able-bodied, it is a weird I, I, it hadn't occurred to me. I'm not. I'm, I'm so privileged in the, the place yeah. where I am in my life. It didn't even occur to me, and I'm so thankful to see that there are smart people talking about this. Um, they also get into human repair and enhancement. Enhancement, you say? Yeah. So not just like okay, well, we've developed this technology that is an artificial heart or an artificial kidney or an artificial liver or whatever. This is getting into when we develop technology that could actually create upgrade. Yeah, an upgrade to a human being without prior injury. Yeah, right. Like, like not like this arm is defective. I need, I need a new one. But right. like, you no, know, this arm is less cool than yeah. that robot arm. My, my I wrist, want a new one. My wrist can't turn 360 degrees, so it's really a pain in the butt to put a light bulb back into a socket. Slap I, a new one in there. Yeah, I just want to have one where I can spin the wrist in that way, and I'm done. Uh, so they're saying, well, hey. This is going to happen. Maybe we need to start thinking about the the ethics involved in this and actually get uh, experts in hospitals and other healthcare institutions who are thinking about these kind of issues and start to work on legislation for that as well so that we don't enter into a, a an environment where people are just willy-nilly getting crazy upgrades. Maybe they're putting their own lives in danger as a result. Maybe they're creating a bigger divide between the haves and have-nots. They don't want to do that. So that's what that section is specifically about. Oh, and they also have a little section about drones. Yeah. And that bit. But I'm not going to cover it because it's essentially the kind of stuff you would imagine, like common sense things like privacy and security, that sort of stuff. Airspace, yeah. So then they get into uh, the discussion about the impact on jobs and social systems. This is probably the section that got the most attention in the media about the idea of personhood and it's kind of also like the most immediate impact or ish. Yeah. Cause we don't have robots at the level of artificial intelligence and, and autonomy in the general sphere that we have to worry about that right now. I mean, thinking about it now is good. But it's not like they're already out there, right? The the most advanced ones are in pretty secluded environments for very specific research projects. Uh, it's not like you're going to encounter one as you walk down the street, unless there's been a terrible mishap. Paul McCartney bot? <laughs> I was thinking either that or it's Johnny Five from Short Circuit. <laughs> okay. So uh, according to one forecast that the, the report cited, the EU could face a shortage of as many as 825,000 information and communications technology professionals or ICT professionals. And on top of that, it predicts that 90% of all jobs by 2020 will require some level of digital skills. So the proposal calls for a revision of a digital competence framework so that they can at least uh, help young people and really people of all ages mm-hmm. develop those basic skills so that they maintain a viable place in the workforce. Yeah. Um, they also call for designing programs to encourage more young women into the fields of robotics and the related fields, related technical fields. And uh, they say that the European Union and the member states within it should launch initiatives in order to support women in ICT and to boost their e-skills, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Essentially, this is a cultural shift saying, guys, let's stop sending a message that these are fields primarily for dudes. For dudes, right. Because they weren't originally. No. And and it's ridiculous that they are today. And that there are people who are absolutely instrumental in the development of computer science who happen to be women. Uh, 
<laughs> I mean, like you, you know, you've got Ada Lovelace who created the first frickin' computer programs, and uh-huh. you've got you've got the the woman who does who came up with the coin computer bug, <laughs> like uh, their their contributions to computer science and to information and communications technologies have been phenomenal. But in general, we've created a culture, and when by we, I mean like everywhere. Yeah, not the two of us in this room. No, not I. I have tried not to perpetuate it. <laughs> many, uh, many humans, yes. But there, there's been a culture that has discouraged women into going into those fields to the point where men who are in the field may have, like, they may feel like, what, what are you, what are you even here for? Like, would they see a woman come into like an engineering class? And that absolutely needs to change for multiple reasons. Oh, yeah. And uh, so they're saying, let's get on that. Let's create programs and change this perception that is based on fallacy so that we get brilliance that we're otherwise missing, missing out, out on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, again, it goes well beyond just the idea of robots in that case. Mm-hmm. Also very inspiring. So they uh, – also call for a system to monitor job trends to see where jobs are disappearing due to robots and automation, as well as where are jobs being created because of robotics. So essentially saying, well, we want to make sure to steer people further away from these jobs that are increasingly yeah, being taken by robots. Mm-hmm. But we definitely need more people in these other areas that – that that are the opportunities have opened yeah. up because yeah. of them. Uh, helping shape education and training. Yeah, and this is a this kind of goes in line with what um, we were talking about when when we visited Georgia Tech and chatted about you know the idea of will robots take our jobs and the answer is no there are going to be other jobs but there's the practical consideration of well how do we how do we one identify what those jobs are and two make sure that people are getting the education and experience necessary to to do those jobs. It's easy to say, oh, well, now we've got all these more awesome jobs yeah. available. It's a lot harder to practically get people in the to right a place. place where they can. Yeah. yeah, sure. So this is uh, proactively thinking about that. And here's a really big one that that is the gem of the draft as far as most people are concerned. Perhaps the European Union should, quote, introduce corporate reporting requirements on the extent and proportion of the contribution of robotics and AI to the economic results of a company for the purposes of taxation and social security contributions, end quote. Huh. Yeah. So. The idea that, hey, if you're a company and you have replaced your human employees with robots – uh, maybe you have to pay a certain amount. Yeah, maybe those robots are employees. Yeah, and, and you have to pay Social Security taxes for each of your robot employees, which sounds crazy because you're thinking like, well, robots are never going to it's, collect on Social Security. But you get back to that crushing fund. Yeah, exactly. If if you get to a point where the Social Security is being defunded due to the robots taking over more and more jobs – you still have the need for Social Security, but you don't have the money for Social Security. This is a kind of a temporary solution because obviously this can't be supportable long term. As more and more things get automated, there becomes less of a need for money in the first place. But until that happens. Uh, right, right. Yeah, there's there's an event horizon past which none of this is important anymore. Right. But that's that Star Trek jumpsuit <laughs> feature. Exactly. And, and we're a minute away from it. Yeah. Um, and, and it does actually call out specifically like, hey – Maybe really we should all be thinking about a basic universal income. Yeah, they say that every model state in the European Union should really seriously consider that. That it may not be the the right – or it may not be the same approach for every single nation in the European Union. But it very well may be a conversation that should start to happen. Uh, fortunately, we do have nations that are debating on using this, at least in test cases or perhaps rolling out throughout an entire country, where we can look and see what happens. <laughs> and if it ends up being a massive failure, we'll say, okay, don't do that, but we still need a solution to this problem. But perhaps some <laughs> other solution. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last big section in the proposal is licenses. Yeah. Now, they don't actually – have like a specific, you know, you, you got to go and fill out form A317 and get your robot license. They, they're they laying out some things, some basic rules, guidelines they think that should be included for licenses. And they have two different sets, one for designers, for robot producers, and one for users. Uh, and I'm not going to list all of them because it's they're fairly extensive for both. Uh, yeah, but, but some, but okay, yeah, they, they had a lot of 
really fun and interesting ideas of, of just suggestions of how you should go about roboting. Yeah. Well, and step one, one of the ones under designers is uh, let's have a kill switch on the robots. Like, you know, like a like a like a like just turn it off. Yeah. Just, it, just floop. Yeah. So if it starts going Paul no, McCartney crazy, you. you know, that <laughs> bot is going insane. You just and then like it just switches to wings mode or something. It turns off. Yeah. Uh, make sure your robot is going to operate in a legal way. So don't don't make your burglar bot or mugger bot, as we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. This, again, is for licenses for designers. Be transparent in the way the robot is programmed as well as the predictability of robotic behavior. In other words... Uh, Maybe don't call it autopilot. Yeah. That might be a really good choice to start off with. The idea being that, you know, if you are being sincere and honest in the way that your robot was designed and and what it is supposed to do, you reduce the likelihood of some unintended consequence further down the road. Uh, yeah, I, I think of this part almost like the FDA guidelines for how you can uh, market food on food packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just, you know, yeah, like, like just be open and honest with people and then they'll be able to make better decisions. About, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know. And, and that way you avoid a huge class action lawsuit further down the line. Yay. Everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that, that developers should design tracing tools during the development stages of robots so that when a robot behaves in a particular way, it can be traced back to the design of the robot itself. So in other words, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, like a, a tracer bullet in a way. You, you see the pathway that you can trace back. So when it exhibits a specific behavior, you find out why it behaved that way in that situation. And this could be good or bad. It could be that you want to find out, all right, well, that was interesting. We didn't anticipate that the robot was going to behave in that way, but it was beneficial. So let's find so out let's what find happened. So let's find out what happened. Or uh, It could it, be that the robot behaved in a way that caused damage or harm to someone, and then you want to find out why did it Get to the root of that, that problem. Yeah. I never programmed my bot to, to bash someone over the head. Yeah. Uh Furthermore, it does also specifically say, yep. don't make humanoid robots. Yeah, it was just not so much or humanoid. Not, not, not humanoid, but, but human. Like, make it clear that they're robots. Yeah. Uh, that's the most interesting part about the little license to developers to me, too. Is like, make sure your robots are easily identifiable as robots. Don't make robots that people will think are people. Yeah. No. Or animals, I guess. Or no replicants. No, uh, uh, reboot Battlestar Galactica Cylons. None of that. I guess, I guess really it gets down to everything. Like you wouldn't want a robot that's designed to look exactly like a tree, for example, but the tree is really a surveillance machine that's just constantly recording audio and video. Cause if you just see a tree and you can't identify as a robot, you don't know that you're being you know, watched. Surveilled. Yeah. Uh, now, if you're in the UK, this was which, a, granted, this not part a, of the European Union anymore, but you know you're being under surveillance all the time anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm unduly upset about the idea of a robotic surveillance tree. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, we, the first thing we think of is don't make robots that look like people, but really it's saying don't make robots that don't look like robots. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean they, you know, like the robot just has to be identifiable as a robot. It could be a humanoid in shape or it could just be like a bucket with wheels on it, but you know that it's a robot, right? It doesn't look like something else. Um, I, lo- I love our future of bucket robots. Yes, I, that's actually I'm I'm re- referencing an actual robot that's hitting the streets of London right now. <laughs> it looks like a bucket with six wheels. Okay, uh, but it has a lid and it's meant to deliver small packages oh, within, cool. within two or three miles. All right, I take um, back my my ribbing about bucket robots. I mean, you know, I guess you could call it. It looks kind of like a box with wheels. I, I said bucket because it's got curved edges sure. as opposed to rectangular, like like yeah. car- ninety degree angles, but. Yeah, bucket bots are a thing, man. Uh, on to the users. So they they also had several. I've only picked three of them. One of them is uh, that uh, respect human physical and emotional frailty. So don't make your robot do your bullying for you. Don't set your robot to make someone feel badly about themselves or shake them down for their milk money. You know, be yeah. respectful of other human beings. Yeah, when you're using your robots, don't be mean to people. With right. Them. Yeah. Uh, it, general rule of thumb for all the time, by the way. You yeah, don't, not don't, just, not don't just when you're using your robots, just don't be mean to don't people. Don't be mean to people. Uh, speaking of, you should respect other people's privacy. Right. So, not use robots to spy on people. Right. So th- this is 
really relevant right now with drones oh, yeah. that have high definition cameras mounted sure. on them. The idea of, you know, using a drone to maybe look into someone's window or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, this is specifically saying, hey, don't do that. Yeah. Well, and, and furthermore, like, even if it's a, a situation that crops up where you suddenly realize that you've got a robot in a room and it's inappropriate for whatever reason mm-hmm. to have that robot doing surveillance, eh, turn off the surveillance. Right. Don't and, be a jerk. And finally, don't weaponize your robot. Just don't do it. Yeah. Don't, don't strap knives to your robot's hands and just tell it to go windmilling around or, you know, Paul McCartney needs no excuses, right? You yeah. just keep that robot under wraps. Uh, no, seriously though, it, that, that's one of the rules that they yeah. had. Now keep in mind, the, when I say rules, these are all proposals. Right. Uh, even if this were to be adopted. It would still just be a set of proposals. Yeah, it's not, it's not like it's a legally binding document. No. Um, so that gets to some of the reaction to the proposal. Some critics are saying that setting up guidelines this early, particularly for stuff like the concept of electronic personhood, when we don't even have robots that are close to being conscious, is more premature than not. And and really that that being this premature could stifle uh development. Right. In other in other words, like if you were to set up rules and regulations that say X is off limits. Someone who is trying to innovate may end up not pursuing a a uh, path of innovation because they're afraid it's going to overlap on that restriction. Sure. And then the what the critics are saying is that means we get a much slower rate of progression when it comes to we get no Paul McCartney you know, bot at all. Right. And, and think of the songs that we're going to miss out on from Paul McCartney bot. That's going to be copyrighted in some way that we haven't determined yet. Um, they also point out that this proposal, again, is not legally binding legislation. So some people are saying, hey, what's the point of this anyway? It's not like if if the European Parliament said this is a great idea, then anything would happen. That's not the point, I would argue. I would argue that the draft report is meant to say, let's start the ball rolling and actually officially get some committees in place to start forming what will be legislation. Yeah, well, I, I get I get the argument in, in that it's saying, like, stop making meetings to make more meetings. But, yeah. but in this case, it's necessary. Well, so. Especially since, like, we advocate all the time that we need to talk about this. Yeah. And then we say, hey, why are you talking about that? <laughs> like, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and finally, we have that social security section that has people scratching their heads because on the face of it, it sounds like, crazy talk to say a robot's not a person. Why would you have a robot pay into social security? A robot's never going to collect on social security. But when you look at that larger picture that we've mentioned a couple times now, the idea of a social system that starts to fold in on itself through lack of funding, it starts to make a little more sense, at least that you need to find a solution to that problem. Maybe having the robot's essentially the owners of the robots paying into social security on behalf of the robots, maybe that ultimately doesn't make sense. But we definitely have to think about a, a solution that does make sense because that problem yeah. is going to be there either way. Right. So. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I was so pleased to get to dig into this document and uh, and, and so pleased again. Like, I, I feel like I feel like I've said this like nine times already, but like just good job, you guys. Like, yeah. High fives, EU. Yeah. For getting this done. Yeah. I, I, I hope that this leads to more official action. Yeah. Uh it would be great to see someone take the lead in this space and say, I don't care if you guys think this is silly. We have to prepare or else we're going to be caught with our, our digital uh, pants down. Exactly. I was trying to come up with what adjective do I want to use for pants? Digital was perfect. <laughs> um, so we don't want that to happen. Let's let's get ahead of it. And I think that this is a really interesting start. And uh, I'm hopeful that it will continue. And that despite the jokes and the, the pranks and the, the, you know, the good natured, like, and not so good natured jabs on Twitter, that we see progress because it's, it's something that has to happen sooner or later. And I'd rather it happen sooner. Yeah. It, it will happen whether we like it or not. Yep. So let's, let's be prepared. But I'm curious to hear what you guys think out yeah. there. You know, give it a, give it a read if you like it. It's 22 pages long. Uh, that includes the first two pages that have just like the, table of contents and Fun stuff, stuff. On it. And then once you get into that, it's a super fast read. I promise you. You can even start skimming it in certain sections because they're reiterating stuff they've said. So you can really breeze through it in like a half hour easy. And that's if you're taking time to make notes. I know because I've done it. Uh, 
So check it out. It's available online. You can actually get the PDF and read through the whole thing. And I want to hear what you guys have to think about that. Like, do you have your own reaction to this? Are there certain things that you think are great ideas? Are you things that you feel are completely off off base, off track? Uh, is there anything that you think that they missed entirely? Yeah. And uh, also, obviously, if you have suggestions for future episodes of Forward Thinking, you can send those to us as well. Our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop us a line on Twitter or Facebook. At Twitter, we're FWThinking. If you go to Facebook and you search FWThinking in that little search bar, our profile should pop up. And you can leave us a message there. We'd like to hear from you guys, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit ForwardThinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today.